This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And we have an individual who... This will be your third time, Scott. Yes, wow. I believe it's number three. Yeah, we're going to bring your mic up just a little bit right there. That's Thank perfect. you so much. Yeah, Scott Munson. And for those who don't know, you were on episode 13. That was June of 2017. And then episode 53 of January 2018. And you made it through the lockdown. You made it through the pandemic. Congratulations. Yes, I did survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, when you say that, it puts into context how much has happened. I mean, uh, during the COVID epidemic, I uh, I rented a car and drove across the country, and oh, wow. I, I was just talking with Reg about visiting Washington D.C. and catching a Nationals game there, and how much because you know Reg is such a Washington D.C. kid, and you know how much the town has changed. It has, it really has. It's not the Chocolate City anymore, but you know that's gentrification mm-hmm. and that's change. And you know, you and I were talking just off mic, Scott, about how there's always a transition within generations of the old to the new, like. Um, I have a um the the um I have an attorney that I work with and he bought a turntable and he was like, Man, I have to learn how to you know, use a turntable because <laughs> he wasn't born yes. in the time of using turntables and putting a nickel on the 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 thing or a dime. <laughs> so it doesn't jump I, I, I a like dime. dime. <laughs> right. No, nickel's heavier. Yeah, that's right, nickel is heavier. I haven't oh, had this conversation in 50 years I know, or something. No, remember, What's you sometimes, because it could also slow, if it was too heavy, it would slow down That's right. Speed, exactly. That's right. Depending That's right. on how sensitive your system was. Yeah, and explaining to folks what a 45 is instead of a oh. 78 and a 33 Man. and a third. <laughs> So, for those who don't know, you Scott, you were born and raised in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you have an education. Uh, you went to UCLA, the YB Yeats School, Yeats, Yeats, Yeats School in Sligo, Ireland, Harvard University. Um, I was very briefly there at the, at the uh, law school. Yeah. Just long enough to realize that uh, <laughs> a career in the law was perhaps not the best thing right. for me. You mm-hmm. wrote for Tennis Magazine. You wrote for a computer magazine. Um, you um, work for the Bank of Florida right, doing training manuals. I think you were doing um, industrial movies, well, industrial I, plays. I made a transition when I left law school and decided that I didn't want to do that. I just, by pure chance, became a tennis writer and uh, covered tennis tournaments. <laughs> wow. And got to meet people like you know Chris Everett and Jimmy Connors, who was very nice to me, by the way. Hey. He has a reputation of being kind of a jerk, <laughs> right. but he was extremely nice and cordial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I did the uh, a tennis journalism thing for a while, I just, by chance, fell into a career in what was called instructional design. Mm-hmm. I saw an ad in the San Francisco Chronicle back in the days when people looked at want ads in right. the newspaper. Right. And it said, writers wanted. And, you know, that's something you see every day, of course, in the mm-hmm. paper. And uh, I went there and it turned out that it was 
um, a, a place that was looking for somebody to develop training for computers and things like that. And yeah. I just laughed because it was like, I don't know anything about training or computers. I'm your guy, haha. <laughs> and the guy hiring me um, said, well, you're, you're not like these point-headed intellectuals at San Francisco State who spend six months doing a preliminary study towards a, mm-hmm. a report about the possibilities of you write to a deadline and, and you know, that's how all these kids these days read. It's a sports pages anyways. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So by pure chance, I ended up doing that, and that's kind of how I got into theater. Yeah. Because I ended up writing some uh, videos for Barnett's Bank of Florida, mm-hmm. and it was... Uh, one day in the life of a branch manager and uh, I suddenly because I'd grown up in Hollywood and decided at a very young age I did not want to be um, well you saw what happened with your dad yes he had a very kind of rough time of it and I said I don't want to do that so um, I took this very circuitous route but as soon as I found myself working with actors again and uh, writing dialogue and enjoying it I kind of felt this really sort of feeling of homecoming yeah, that you know, this was sort of my tribe in many ways, mm-hmm. and um, I remember somebody saying, "Hey, you know, this isn't so bad for an industrial. The dialogue isn't so bad. Do you write any stuff or anything real?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "Well, no, I don't actually." And and then I started getting interested in theater. So it's it's amazing. I sometimes think about destiny and regardless of what your plans are, mm-hmm. that you end up coming back to where you're meant to be. So. Yeah, yeah. I've always felt, <laughs> felt, sometimes you're almost like a uh, um, a leaf in the wind. You know, you're being blown, but you're blown to where you sort of belong. And, uh, you know, just finding those opportunities to take advantage when those opportunities open up. Well, I will brood on that mystic image, Dr. Clay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Norman, Norman, how was your week? How, how was week Big is Data? all about Big Data. Good yeah. Lord. So we Playing at the ACT? Wednesday. Um, oh, that's I, your, right, you're doing something at ACT, aren't you? Yeah, I I well, I'm sitting in the audience, mostly is what I'm doing, but I'm understudying, yeah. Um, Wednesday, we had a dress rehearsal, invited dress, so mm-hmm. a friend came. Awesome. Had lots of issues with the play. Um, mm. Next night, first uh, preview, mm-hmm. two friends come. Love the play. Love everything about the play. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, said, well, we're sending us home thinking. So I think in both cases, people are, like, figuring it out. And then last night, which was the second preview, she announced it. The director announced it before we started. She said, so you guys are actually going to see something that nobody has ever seen before because they made some adjustments. And I didn't even realize. I got off an intermission. I'm chatting with one of the other understudies. And they're like, yeah, they cut these two scenes. I went, wow, they did cut two scenes, but it was so smooth. It just... Hmm. You know, they move some of the dialogue, so they retain mm-hmm. some of the dialogue, and they just manage to snip. So it sounds a like the play scenes. is still in transition. It's still they're it working will be to see until, what works until and what until doesn't official work. Official opening, which gotcha. is a week from now. Okay. Um, yeah, it's still it's still forming. Mm. And what's the name of the show again? Big Data. Yeah. Big Data. Can you move your mic? I'm sorry. Oh, Scott. <laughs> That's what it is. It's that cable. That cable is dragging you down. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, but but, yeah. um, Kate, oh gosh, what's her name? I should know. Um, Anyway, um, playwright, uh, they commissioned this piece Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to talk about our time. So how does, how does the internet, to just put it in big terms, how does that world that we live in Mm -hmm. affect our relationships and, and so it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to enjoy the audience's response. And, of course, 
we have B.D. Wong in yeah. as the mysterious stranger. And wow. audiences are loving the hell out of him. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is... And I sit and run my lines and run my lines and run my lines. And then mm-hmm. I watch and, uh, oh, he moves over there. Oh, he he takes two servings of of the greens mm-hmm. in this one scene. And then he gives somebody else something. I'm like, yeah. okay. That's not in the script. I've got to write all that down and make <laughs> yeah. sure I know what I'm doing. There was another mm. play that you were on, that you were understudying, and you were—I forget the play what it was—but you know, I guess the main actor. There was sort of an exchange between that actor and the actress that he was working with, and you were making notes as to how they were transitioning. I don't know, getting off or on the stage because mm. you had to basically almost mimic that. Right. Because, yeah. No, it's, um, and I mentioned this to one of the other understudies. I said, I think of this as like, a play is like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. And that role that you are understudying is a piece. It's a very specific shape. It's got colors and things on it. Mm-hmm. And you have to fulfill Fit. all of that. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to come and make the role what you want it to be. Because if your scene partners aren't expecting that, it's going to throw them. You've got to be, like I said, literally, I there's a meal at mm-hmm. one point in the show. Oh, <clears throat> I serve myself and then I pass this to so-and-so because they may need it. There are references to the food in that mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. So somebody has to have had this or has to get this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's as important as the line. So, yeah, no, it's interesting, and you know, we should get more in depth. There'll be one episode where we'll talk about the understudy because you think as an actor, oh, there's a role, there's a character, I can form this way that I want to. An understudy is different because of COVID. We are in the era now of mm-hmm. the understudy. Berkeley Rep. I I I've told the story before, but um, many many years ago, when Oakland Public Theater was doing. Uh, school library tour stuff um i had a cast and we were doing a bunch of shows in san francisco and we stopped for lunch break and we were talking and somebody said they got called by berkeley rep to understudy and i said oh it's a good thing and this is back in the day of answering machines it's a good thing that um you know the best thing that happened was your phone ringing and your machine picking up because they don't pay. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to talk to the director or the principal actors. A lot of people have actual have rules about you in your interactions wow. with the principals. So you don't get to and you don't get the benefit and now I know you're not even invited in for a lot of the rehearsals because mm-hmm. people are discovering things. People are in a kind of creative vulnerable <clears throat> state mm-hmm. and too many too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Too many people commenting and even just observing can can mess with that process i understand that side of it but it means from my side i read the script and i thought this could be a line where i could be stern and then i see that the actor that i'm understudying is treating that as a very delicate Hmm. soft tender moment and i'm like oh okay now i have to relearn Mm -hmm. what i'm doing yeah so it can be very frustrating yeah and now so berkeley rep if Berkeley Rep back in the day, Berkeley twenty years ago, if Berkeley Rep called you, and you didn't answer, your email, your you know, your voice message picked it up, or your answering machine picked mm-hmm. it up. Back in the day when <clears throat> we had those things, Go right? Ahead. But that was the best message, the best communication you're going to get from Berkeley Rep, because the director is probably never even going to literally see you. You're not going to work with them at all, so it doesn't matter how prestigious they are or whatever. They know no connection to you. They are unaware of it. You're a name on a list. Um, 
not getting paid back then, but you were required not only to be there for rehearsals, <laughs> but to be there for the run of the show, mm. not being paid. Um, but what you found out is they know who you are. They have your phone number and they know that you are and they know that you fit in a certain type that you could cover mm-hmm. a certain role. So that means Berkeley Rep knows all this about you. Now you just got to get your ass in the door for an audition for a role because mm-hmm. they've already said, "Wow, we know you're good enough that we would risk having you on our stage." And this young actress just argued with me, "No, it's Berkeley Rep." And I'm like, "No." Uh, I, I was already at that point a theater artist getting paid. And I was like, no, if you're not paying me, then you're wasting my time. Well, now Berkeley Rep is paying. ACT is paying. Mm-hmm. And all these shows have understudies because they've all learned. Theater works. Uh, I ended up in uh, two, almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. in the Mind Troop show because Michael Gene Sullivan was in a show at Theater Works. And they kept having people drop out because of COVID. COVID, yeah. So they kept having put in rehearsals. <clears throat> they kept having to go back down there. They actually did one performance that was just a concert. It was a musical. Mm. And they just did one performance where it was just them singing on stage because mm. they didn't have the people. Yeah. So a lot of people like me have ended up getting in and getting on stage in mm-hmm. these places. I've understudied, what, like four shows now? Yeah. In the last few years? Mm-hmm. And I've been on stage for... Well, let's see. I was on stage for Pericles. Michael Jeans wasn't really understudying, but mm-hmm. it almost was. Yeah. Um, Maybe 10% of, of all of the things you've understudied, you've been on no, stage No, no, no. I've been on 10%. No, I'm saying I've been on for almost all of them in recent years. Oh, there years. you go. Okay. I, it'd be easier to count the ones that I've understudied where I didn't go on. Gotcha. Um, I did Love's Labor's Lost mm-hmm. many years ago understudied and then three or four years later got cast in one of the lead roles yeah like well no it's already into the play (laughs) yeah no it's fantastic i think of it like in football terms it's like the backup quarterback yeah it really is you know you got the clipboard but you know you know you've got to fit that offense the offense made for the main quarterback Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what happens is you know to use that analogy that would be like that's what we are in now is that season where it's not just one team having to put somebody in but a bunch of teams have to and the ones who weren't really ready yeah oh it shows up they show up on the field they get slaughtered and they're like oh we need to get a backup yes (laughs) we do oh yeah so there's a lot more of that going on in bay area theater right now yeah and we can transition into current events um so uh speaking of football <clears throat> for those who you know mourn San Francisco losing, you know it's. But oh, even, did San Francisco lose? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, even but we didn't get we didn't have a shooting exactly, and that's the thing, you know, um, how unfortunate. And it, you know, it's funny. Well, I shouldn't say it's funny, but there was a shooting at a church. There right. was a shooting on Monday, and of course we don't we don't remember it because of the right. shooting Wednesday. That's right. how common these shootings happen. Yep, yep. I think it was uh, I forget Joel Alstein. It was his his church. Oh right, where a woman came. I in, did see that, and uh, I guess there was a shooting. I think only one t- passed away, but a child. I think her she child, had her seven year old child with her. Right. Because I guess, you know, you can't get daycare when you want to go shoot someplace up. It's hard to get daycare. Yeah, yeah. And then on Wednesday, you have the shooting at the Kansas City uh, Parade. Right. Where three kids, and I learned yesterday or the day before, that they had AR-15 uh, rifles. Yep, yep. Matter of fact, they had five of them. Yeah. So, 
Gun violence, we've talked about this before. Uh, we think there's a change. I, I don't know what it's going to take. Scott, do you have any thoughts about any of this? Well, it's it's funny. I spent a lot of my time living in France, and mm. you know, people there just talk about the United States like it's... Yeah. Um, it's the land of savages, you know, mm-hmm. because there's so many stories about um, this, these kinds of horrific acts, and mm. it's always kind of interesting or difficult when you're sort of the American in the room. Yeah, it's like, yeah. can you explain to us yeah. why your politicians are morons and you're, <laughs> you shoot each other left and right? Right. And, I don't well, know if I told you. I don't know. Let's if I see. Do I have a response? Right. But I don't know if I told you, but I went to Kyrgyzstan last year. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, for two weeks. And uh, I was speaking to a lady. I'm sort of romancing a lady in Kyrgyzstan. And I always tell her, I always tell her, oh, America's wonderful. America's wonderful. She's like, are you sure? (laughs) Not from what I hear. And it's difficult. It's difficult for an American to explain just the culture of why we like our guns and all of this stuff and why it's so difficult to have legislature to not have kids carry AR-15s or whatever. I mean, it happened in Missouri, and Missouri is the same. Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri, where, you know, um, Anthony Brown. um, Michael uh, Brown. Michael Brown, thank you, Mm -hmm. was uh, killed uh, by cops and the Justice Department under the Obama administration, you know, penalized the those police officers. But right. the um, their gun laws are very lax in mm-hmm. Missouri. I think mm-hmm. they're 38th in the country. Uh, California's number one as far as having very strong right. gun uh, restriction laws. Right. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, also, um, mixed metaphors, I'm trying to... Um, Half a billion dollars. You're not going to go there? Oh, Trump. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yet another one. <laughs> Speaking of Trump, I'm so pissed off at um, the Georgia Fannie Willis. Have yeah. you seen the clips, though? Of yeah. Poor Mara. I made her watch like five clips last yeah. night. Yeah. Do we have to keep you? We have to keep get you abreast, right, Scott? <laughs> may not know any of this stuff. So to speak. <laughs> well, it's it's crazy season 2024, and of course it's politics, and it's an election season. I mean, it's one of the reasons why in the last project you and I worked on was the Brett project. Oh, that's true. Because we, it was 2020 and election mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. to to let people know through theater, you know, this is what's happening in the Trump administration. These are how people right. are affected. Well, four years later, here we are again, and Fannie Willis prosecutes Trump because he targeted electors or people who voted right. who were workers mm-hmm. for uh, counting the votes right and he was threatening them saying hey let's mm-hmm. throw out some votes or whatever and there were some you know black individuals who were um, employees who were threatened who <clears throat> got calls from yeah. member of Trump's staff mm-hmm. so that's what the law that's what the uh, the case is about I think it's a criminal case well no it's about the other the 11 was 11,000 votes I yeah. just need give me 11 you know that it's all of that it's the whole thing right exactly so Fannie Willis is the DA it, yeah. and she appoints an individual to prosecute Trump the problem is Fannie Willis and this dude are hooking up or they right. did hook up that's not that's not that's not criminal at all it I mean, is unethical <laughs> well that's that's what's been decided this week Right, being exactly. decided this week, and so that is what the uh, I guess the trial is all about. And mm-hmm. Fannie Willis had to get on the stand and talk about her relationship. I guess it's past now because they're not together anymore with this guy. But it's just silly. It's just really, really stupid. And but I'm mad at her because she didn't have to appoint that guy. You want to hook up with the guy? That's fine. But well, appoint she, somebody no, else. She hooked up at, with him after he was hired. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And they're trying to accuse her of having hooked up with him before, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence of it. She 
oh, vehement isn't the word for how strongly she denied. The woman is sitting there and she says, y'all, y'all, she said, y'all are confused. And literally, this is her quote, y'all are confused. I'm not the one who's on trial here. They, the defendants, are the one who are on trial here, even though y'all are trying to make this about me being on trial. Mm-hmm. So it's still part of that trial. Yeah. She's not on trial for something. They're saying there's something inappropriate about her, mm-hmm. and they're putting her having to. Yeah. But she's like making the judge. I need, she sits down at some point and she says, I'd like, I need three documents from you. I need this, 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 this. And you hear them scrambling in the background, the judge and the uh, the court person going oh well um we we, we'll have to take a five minute recess she says i'll sit here i'll wait Mm -hmm. she's a badass yeah yeah i just you know the optics are not great but 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 you're absolutely right i mean this is just ridiculous and really this is just a motion for the judge to throw everything out because of the impropriety between that and it's just what they're trying and there's that. There's also the E. Jean Carroll thing. I think uh, uh, a judge ruled that, I guess, it's, was it $340 million? Yeah, how much of it is? It's at least that because there was also an interest penalty at the start of the trial since they'd already found the financials. It was just how bad is this going to be? So that was that kicks in. It's like mm-hmm. it's close to half. Yeah. So Trump loses it's, a civil trial in New know, York. It's a uh, four hundred and fifty something mm-hmm. thousand. Yeah, and he's facing million. a criminal trial in Georgia. There could be others. Yet he's still winning. You know, I feel bad for Nikki Haley. It's like, what is it going to take? Right. <laughs> well, I, I my my own read on this, having many relatives and friends who are from Trump country, mm-hmm. is that the more they pile on this stuff, the better they like it. Right. I mean, Trump... Uh, Makes him a murder, ra- right? Yep. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. Rather than feeling like this is a, a terrible scandal and it would disqualify one-tenth, uh, one-one-hundredth of any of this would have disqualified any pre- previous yeah. candidate. But the more it is, the more it feeds into this narrative of the... Deep state. Prodigal son, the... Uh, who has come back to Jesus and is being persecuted <laughs> by the evil liberals and the more things they try to to find him guilty of, the better he looks because it feeds into this paranoid fantasy of um, of, of, of martyrdom. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And there's nothing more comic in a way and, and sad at the same time is to like hear people who you know, profess to be Christians and be born exactly. again talking about Trump to me who is you know you have to admit is probably the most cynical human being who ever lived exactly he is as far removed from what I would believe a Christian as, as possible I mean not to say that mm-hmm. you know it's it would be hard to say that you know who's a good Christian who's a bad Christian right but at least make an effort and you know and it also feeds into this comedy that I've been feeling lately about being overseas when you're trying to explain to someone from France <laughs> the American electoral system. Right. And they go, well, let me see if I have this right. The people who get the majority of the votes isn't necessarily the one who wins. Right. And you go, yeah, yeah that's exactly that's right. Now, yeah. you know, now let me explain. Georgia has X number and right. Wyoming has oh, blah, blah. And yeah. you add them all up and they, they look at you like literally I can see the, you know, the, the third eye growing in your forehead you must be from another planet (laughs) yes hillary clinton has three million more votes than trump but she didn't get them in particular counties how do you Mm -hmm. explain all that right it's really really crazy you know the fanny willis thing i mean 
women being blamed for her their sexuality, although mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the job. And black women, yeah. Exactly. It ties into the next thing. So you remember Rachel Dozial, don't you? Barely, yes. No, but that, mean, that name means nothing to me. So she was a, <laughs> it's a curious case. She was a woman who was a member of the NAACP before she got outed. For In being, Washington State, yes. For being white. There's no problem with being white, but yet she lied. I mean, she... She basically um, she created a whole persona of being black, and you know she even tied dyed yeah. her, she even tanned her she skin, tanned her skin, and, and had and, extensions, and right, exactly, and so that, and hey, listen, you know, if she and just a mixed race child, yeah, mixed race yeah. child, and even denied her parents, you know, it's like, yeah, no, 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 her my, white parents, yeah, yes, my parent is a, a black man, and the black man was like, I, you know, that this is not my child, right. So in any case, that was a story way, way, way back. Oh, so yeah. now she's changed her name to Ketchy Diallo <laughs> and she lives in Seattle now and she's doing teaching she's in the news now because she got fired for having an OnlyFans site wow <laughs> you did not know this huh no <laughs> see this is what you get for not reading the root <laughs> no, and I, I was I like oh my god this root. woman is is yeah no, I know it's, it's a bad habit I gotta stop doing it but in any case uh, she and it's yet one other teacher who is being blamed for having a sexual life mm-hmm. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the, te- the students that she's teaching so right. although it's nice fodder to you know to pick on the former Rachel Dozial, who is really a white woman who wants to be black okay that's fine but just because you have an OnlyFans site, that makes you, you're not capable of teaching kids? It's crazy. And have you heard of Bart Surfing? Bart Surfing? No. My first reaction is, is that an actor down in Hollywood? Uh, uh-huh. Bart oh, yeah? Surfing? But I, oh! I kind of have the feeling, no, that this probably has <laughs> really? something to do with there, rapid transit. There, I, there, there may be a dude named Bart Surfing, but no. There are some crazy kids who, I think one actually died, one was injured. Oh, oh. Getting onto a Bart train oh. as the Bart train is running outside, standing on it, and literally surfing. Oh my god. So that was on the SF Chronicle. I can't imagine that could last long. <laughs> Number one, because if you can't get a friend up there to yeah, videotape exactly. you doing it. <laughs> there was the point. Yeah. You know, you, you don't get the clicks. And the very last story, and this is something that we can actually actually wow, no, dive I have into. Not heard that one. But uh, Natalie Portman, she uh, she was uh, the Wall Street Journal had interviewed her. I guess she's mm. in a movie. And she talked about method acting. She says that women are not um, I forget what the actual quote was, uh, that women are not equipped or um, Whoa. to do method acting. Whoa. Her actual quote is, women don't have the luxury to do method acting. Huh, because... And, and her theory, her um, rationality is, mm-hmm. she's interpreting method acting as being something where you inha- inhabit the character forever. You're at home with the kids. You still mm-hmm. ha- inhabit the character mm-hmm. until the play or the movie is done. Oh, I don't really I don't okay. really ascribe to that as method acting, but she says, "Well, I can't raise my kids if I'm still Jackie Kennedy, you know, in the role or whatever." So, that's weird. And I and she's actually talking about how men have the luxury of doing things because men just don't have the I don't know, the compassion to care about other individuals. So, men has got it so easy. <laughs> So I don't know if you ever thought about this, uh, uh, Scott. About you know, there, I've talked to a, a bunch of actors. We've act, act, had actors on the Yay, 
and they've largely poo-pooed or even said that method acting is dangerous. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, do you have any thoughts about the concept of method acting? Well, it's funny because when I was a young man, it was such the rage. I mean, mm-hmm. and I have you know ancient memories of Marilyn Monroe going to. Um, mm-hmm. New York and learning the method, as people yeah. would refer to she it. She learned from Sprosper, right? I believe so, and yeah. I believe she and Marlon was... And Brando, right? Yes, and I think she was so paralyzed with uh, you know terror that she would just sit there and not perform. People would say, do a scene or something, and she would just be like, I can't, you know, I'm just a Hollywood celebrity. I'm not a real actor like you folks, and mm. would feel paralyzed, which I think was... Unfortunate, because I think she was a true genius in terms of comic acting. Right. Yeah. But you know, it. I. You know, to me, it it, it feels um, something where I, I find myself sort of questioning my own understanding or comprehension because it feels like something that was very popular at a certain time, mm-hmm. and I wonder whether or not um, you know how much of it has has retained its power or its legacy, and whether or not it's something that you know like younger performers look back and go, yeah, the method, you know, wasn't that funny when they, they would all sit around and, and, mm-hmm. and in little grottos and, <laughs> you know, in, in mm-hmm. Manhattan and talk about that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, mean, I there, wonder. Yeah, there, you know, there's always been a transition between, um, I think, of the 50s where you had actors who were still, you know, doing whatever that, the what's that method that made up um, um, language or uh, the dialect? The Catherine Hepburn dialect was mm. it the uh, the the, the central, mid-Atlantic? Mid-Atlantic? Yeah, mid-Atlantic accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's right. Yeah. Which ha- you know, which you know, there's no, it's really just made up. It's like a Hollywood sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have a guy like Brando coming in and just acting, or James Dean coming and acting as natural as absolutely possible, and that being such a revolutionary thing that that becomes the new standard. It's almost as if Stanislavski again. Introducing that when he introduced it in the turn of the century. Let's have naturalized acting on the stage. Now let's have naturalized acting in film. And, you know, it, you know, you create actors and, and even writers and, and um, um, filmmakers in the 70s, like um, uh, Scorsese and Robert De Niro and Pacino, giving this naturalized acting in the 70s where we're just so inundated with it. That I guess, you know, maybe Hollywood has turned another corner and now it's just the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, you know, CGI. <laughs> and yes. Let's just throw it on the screen and just dazzle you and forget about, you know, just, you know, being lumped in a corner and, you know, just feeling your feelings. Well, it's, it's a funny thing because as you were talking, I was thinking about my own work and how in many ways I think my own playwriting is a reaction against naturalism. That, mm. that um, you know, there's a certain, I mean... I think it's always good to be open and non-judgmental. Yeah. But I, you know, I have to feel like my own little inner judge sort of, you know, gets up on its hind legs and starts bark- barking when if I go to a, sh- a, sh- a play and I see, oh, that's a realistic set of a realistic house where people actually eat dinner, mm-hmm. and I feel like, well, you know, that that world has been so appropriated by film and television mm-hmm. that. Uh, if I go to see a play and I feel like, well, this could just as easily be done with a, in a three-camera shoot mm-hmm. on a set of for a TV show, there's part of me that feel that that starts to check out, and I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying it's a a visceral emotional reaction, and the more um, abstract and uh, 
otherworldly or unreal the theater is, the more I like it. I, I, I find myself much more attracted to older theatrical traditions, for example, medieval theater, mm -hmm. where uh, our Japanese theater, where I feel like there's no pretense made that we're showing you mm -hmm. reality. Yeah. Because I think the camera does it so much more effectively. Yeah. And uh, the idea, I mean, as, as you know from some of the stuff we've done together, the idea of like you're a traveling theater troupe and you, yeah. you put a cloth background up there and you say, you know, that represents Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's... that's yeah. And allowing the audience to take their imagination where they want to take it. Exactly. And, and because I feel like... See, the thing that... that that bugs me some, so much is when I'll see a commercial for like Disneyland or something mm -hmm. and they'll say, this is the world of imagination and we're Imagineers. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is not the world of imagination. You don't have to imagine anything. That's right. They're doing the imagining for you. They're doing it for you. It's all provided. All you have to do is very passively sit back there and consume it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I see... See, for example, I mean, just to go way back in the day, one of my favorite films of all time is Fellini's La Strada. Mm -hmm. And people who know that film know that it's about a tra two traveling performers who go on the road, and he's a strong man, and she plays the trumpet, and they they create a theatrical world, mm -hmm. in like in an open space, yeah. with the people all around them. That to me is much more much more attractive than you know more elaborate theatrical temples where we have beautiful stages and lighting and resources and of course part of that might be just you know sour grapes on my part because not too many of those enormous temples have asked me to hey Scott let's do some of your stuff here yeah. so it it may be just be a reaction against it but I no I, I, I do see the um because you know we like you know like if you go to a, like a traditional black box theater and let's say you're an actor or you're a director and you have to work with what you have in front of you you won't have the luxury of having a budget where you can have to make things as realistic as possible but you can ask the audience hey listen scene 1 we're just going to use these little black boxes that we have on stage and it'll be a, a dining room and then now we're going to create it to, you know, a park or whatever. Just use your imagination. And usually the audience will just go along with it. I mean, as a director, Norman, you, you, you've had to go through that. Or... It's, no, it's my joy of doing live theater. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there's so many things where I feel like I'm a tailor. I'm trying to mm. bring this down to the resources that I have, make best use of my resources. That includes the space. So I always want the show to fit in the space. I want... I want to recognize that the audience is walking into this room, and that's where the show is, mm -hmm. as opposed to people who go, no, 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 I want you to think that you're in France, you know, and like, no, you're in the jungle. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, there are chairs there. There's, there's no, that's not the jungle. How do you make that reality work, mm -hmm. and how do you bring the audience there? Yep. We, um, I'm not going to give anything away, but we have an interesting opening for the data. <laughs> okay. And it requires audience buy-in. And so there is a tense few seconds when we're going, are they going to go here with us? <laughs> are they? And last night, there was a big applause of, you know, a, a re applause of recognition. They mm -hmm. were like, oh, that's what's going on. And I was like, oh, okay, they're, they, they bought it. Excellent. I'm waiting for that night where we sit there while nobody... Mm -hmm. knows what's going on and yeah. how long is that going to last because you know on stage five seconds 
<laughs> feels like an eternity. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it, it reinforces the audience participation part of theater, something that you don't get in movies or television, where you're asking the audience, hey, I want you to buy into this. Mm-hmm. And the audience is willing. I mean, if the script is good enough, and if the character is good enough, if the dialogue, if the script is strong enough, they'll buy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, getting back into method, I remember being in school and one teacher, I think he was working with a student and the teacher was like, listen, don't say the dialogue unless you actually mean it. Like, Mm -hmm. let's say the dialogue is, I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink this water. And he would say, listen, unless you mean it, don't say it. Mm -hmm. And one, one exercise this poor girl was, you know, like just there for like a good five minutes because she just wasn't thirsty. Mm-hmm. And the teacher's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, I'm sorry, I just don't feel thirsty, so I can't say the line. So that's the extreme, I think, of it method is. acting. Yeah. And that's when I think of method acting, I think of make it as real as possible to populate the character to mm-hmm. make it fit the, the script. It right. doesn't have to go beyond that. I well, don't have to be a murderer to play a murderer. I frustrated my friend the other night, the friend who came to the dress rehearsal, because I was saying, well, one of the things I'm struggling with is the play, the dialogue in the play moves well, and you don't get a ton of exposition. Instead, you get relationship. You get people mm-hmm. relating to each other, and you have to kind of follow them on that journey, which is neat. But for the actor, I want to know... Who's my son? Who's my daughter? What is our relationship? What about my wife? I mean, for me, it's interesting. I'm not a big advocate of the method, but there are certain times where it's like, how can I make this real for me? Well, the woman playing my um, my wife, the woman playing the wife, mm-hmm. who uh, will I assume be my wife if I go on, mm-hmm. um, Julie, is um, an actress I've known for at least a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And we barely ever worked together. I directed her in a playground thing, maybe last year. <laughs> other than that, we'd just known each other. And so I remember her as a younger woman, you know, um, a, a very well-poised, attractive younger woman. And that's who I think of her as. So now she's, like me, a little older and it's easy for people to dismiss old people, right? We, you get past a certain age and mm-hmm. you become invisible, especially women talk about that. Yeah. But for, I hope, for men like me, we're going, all that you were is still in there, plus all this wonderful, it's like a wine, it has, it has matured, and now there are all these wonderful notes that mm-hmm. are there, on top of the, oh, you're an old woman. Mm-hmm. On top of the wrinkles, on top of all that. Yeah. And so, I'm not having to make any of that up, because this is a woman who, at a certain point in my life, I would have happily have gone, hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, um, you, are you, you know, um, you want to go down the street and get a drink? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, so, let that fantasy world, let that part of who I am be in the character. Mm-hmm. It isn't really directly reflected anywhere in the script. But it does allow for just the simplest lines to have a little more resonance to me rather than just ba 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 ba. Yep. You know, and whenever we talk about method, I have to bring up the Olivier thing because I, I just love it so much. Olivier yeah. plays the villain in Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And he has captured it at one point. He's a, he's a Nazi who's been hiding. And Dustin Hoffman has accidentally encountered him 
And he's worried that Dustin Hoffman knows who he is, and Dustin Hoffman doesn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. So they have a scene where he's supposed to torture him in a dentist chair, mm-hmm. which is already, you know, and this is uh, William Goldman wrote the, the book, and, and he's brilliant. He's brilliant at giving you these sort of ironic moments that are still very grounded in mm-hmm. a visceral experience, and you don't get more visceral than the dentist chair. Yeah. So they get ready for the day of shooting this. <laughs> Olivier is waiting on set. Hoffman comes walking up. He looks like hell. He clearly he looks like he's slept in his clothes, which in fact he has. He hasn't had a shower or anything in days. He stayed up. He's just looks and Olivier is like, my boy, what's going on? He's like, oh, you know, I was trying to get in the moment for the scene because you know I wanted to do that. And he said, well, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I think. The extreme, the folks who do take it to the extreme, gives method a bad name. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, whatever you have in your toolbox as an actor, you got to use it. Uh, we're running close because I know you have to leave. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about writing. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about um, because I was talking. a writer on, yeah. Well, well of course. You- <laughs> this <laughs> is where I, mean, I do my you- curly Joe invitation I mean, only- and look around to see who exactly. just came in. <laughs> Not only have you had a, a illustrious career in the Bay Area community, just writing all sorts of wonderful things, I still think about Dearest Frank Likes a Cigar. Um, mm. But you had you've been writing, you know, for industrials and for for sports magazines, and you know, um, I get the sense now that in today's age, I was talking to a friend of mine. We we're actually talking about blogging because he has a blogging. He's a lawyer uh, that I work for at the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, and we lamented that young people just don't write anymore. Don't, they don't appreciate the value of writing. And I do wonder, where are the future playwrights coming from? Have you noticed that hmm. perhaps – and I also think about AI. You know, Will people start asking uh, AI to write uh, a script? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sure they are already doing it. But have you noticed that, Scott? Do you find that – and now I was reading that um, – for to take an SAT, you don't have to write an essay anymore. Wow, uh, it's coming back. Is the it? SATs okay. are coming back. Some of the big schools are bringing it back. Yeah, but the very fact that people would even question why you would need to write an essay anymore is rather interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is a decline in creative writing? Well, I, I think there's like two parallel tracks that are going on mm-hmm. that in in the culture. One of them is you're right. I know a lot of people, younger people, who whose engagement with the written word is very slim. And and everything about media, and I feel this myself, mm-hmm. I mean, even though I'm an old coot, I still feel like my own um, patience mm-hmm. with something. Like if I have to, if I'm reading something on a screen and I have to scroll down to see it, I start thinking like, wow, this is rather long. Right. <laughs> you know, and you know, I grew up, you know, as an English major reading six hundred page uh, novels and letters from the eighteenth century and now I'm going, Wow, this is like two and a half screens <laughs> so long. <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm, and I'm Methuselah compared to the uh, to young people. Mm-hmm. At the same time I think that there's that kind of um, uh, trend going on. There's also an, an sometimes strikes me an, an equally worrisome trend that if you do want to be involved in theater as a writer, mm-hmm. it becomes obligatory that you go to a um, playwriting program, mm-hmm. get an mm-hmm. MFA, right. and receive a certain um, 
uh, you know, blessing imprimatur, is that the Latin word? Mm -hmm. Where you've gotten the credential. Right, right, right. And I I think there's a danger to that in in any art because I think that what used to be, uh, and maybe it jibes more with my own experience and that's why I treasure it more, this feeling of accidentally falling into something Mm -hmm. because you find out that you have a knack for it and your life experience pushes you there as opposed to, well, I'm 14, 15 years old. I've already got it planned that right. I will be at Brown MFA program when I'm right. 22. Yeah, because yeah. If, if I don't have a sitcom deal by the time I'm 25, I'm a failure. I'm a failure mm-hmm. yeah. And and that um, um, that pressure to become a professional mm-hmm. and... Well, you know, then you're kind of putting yourself in the hands of people who are telling you what what a professional is. Yeah. And there's advantages to that. I mean, you are, you know, know, engaging with a lot of wisdom. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it also enforces a certain conformity. Sure. You know, who's the hot writer today? Who's the person you should be imitating? Yeah. Rather than go out there and blunder around and, you know, work on a railroad and work in 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 a... factory and mm-hmm. and have and meet lots of different kinds of people and have an experience of life and right. I think it, it promotes a Mandarin class where oh, um, nice. that you you feel like I'm in and I don't want to say Byzantine because people often use that word but I kind and I kind of like Byzantium <laughs> but but that feeling of that you're in a class of uh, of similar professionals of a similar language and mm-hmm. a similar approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 can be uh, that can be worrisome too, um, and you know it it pushes you in certain ways and tells you what's good and what's not good in certain ways that I I think can really limit your growth. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm reading an interesting book right now called Last Light about a about artists, you know, visual artists mm-hmm. who very late in life reinvented their styles, mm. and it's it's Titian and Goya and uh, Monet yeah. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Picasso did it a bunch, a bunch of times. Yeah, he I, he did, he's not included in the book. I think probably because he's just so well known. And sure. also, Louise Nevelson is in the book, mm. and it's people who, very late in life, when people are sort of saying, "Well, you know, you, you should, uh, you know, you you've created your legacy, right, so right, to speak," right. suddenly find themselves doing things radically different. And I find that very. Very inspiring. It reminds me, I think there's a line of poetry by T.S. Eliot that says, old men should be explorers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I I feel there's some truth to that for me personally, that it's it's good to, to feel like um, I don't want to repeat myself. I want to go on to something new and mm-hmm. different. But yeah. I think there's much in the culture that penalizes that simply because if everything is about technology and your ability to absorb technology quickly, I mean, how many times have you seen the commercial on TV where Grandpa can't figure out how to use the cell phone and right. he's a figure of yeah, know, ridicule yeah. and fun. And, oh, and what's happening now are commercials with 30-somethings talking about too, being too old for the technology. Exactly, exactly, and everything being... Or even kids. I've heard a commercial oh in the last recent, <laughs> oh God. recently where an older sibling, oh, that's what it is, a girl is hiding in a closet, and she's talking about how she's the greatest hide-and-seek artist, um, and what's great is because they've got this, you know, the up-to-date Wi-Fi, she can just sit in there and she can watch her shows and blah 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 and all of a sudden the door opens ha ha found you and she's like mm. what 
how'd you find me? He's like, you left your find your device thing on. And she said, these kids today and their technology. Oh, funny. <laughs> but getting back to your point, Scott, yes, people look at an old person and see, oh, old geriatric, but the mind is still fresh. The mind is still there. And yes, you can. Let's say you've worked 20, 30 years in something and all of a sudden, let's say you've retired or whatever it is, you're doing a, a transition in careers and you discover, let's say, it's playwriting. Mm-hmm. I also think that if a young person wants to get into writing, especially playwriting, they may just jump right into script writing or screw plays. I just want to <clears throat> do a YouTube video or get something on Netflix or something like that. And the value of just writing a play for a live audience mm-hmm. may be lost. I don't know. Well, I know a lot of people in Hollywood because that's where I'm from and, mm-hmm. and where my family lives. And it's often thought that you know you're getting that MFA in theater because that's a calling card to when you then decide to get into television. That mm-hmm. people will say this person has to be a class act. They they went to Brown and they right. have an MFA in theater, and we'll hire them to write dialogue for you know who's the boss for return. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you know, and or clean up this script, which will be credited <laughs> by to for someone to someone else. You know, however that however that works, yeah. and you know that. It, it it feels like people are so much more being turned into product products and commodities in a way, and it's much harder for people to find an, an individual path yeah. that may be highly idiosyncratic. And I just feel like it's this tremendous pressure to be successful. Mm-hmm. That you have to be known. You have to you know break out from the pack as early as possible. Otherwise, you're a failure. Right. Which I think puts so much pressure on young people and doesn't give them the the chance to and like how many people can be successful I mean there's only it's like saying if I'm not a major league baseball player I'm a failure well how many jobs are there right right right, right. exactly and you know if you have to do that by the time you're 22 or you know you genuinely are old and I I I hate to see that when I see young people who I feel are under so much pressure to try to accomplish or succeed at something so young Mm -hmm. and they can't. They, it's hard. I feel like it's hard for them to relax and kind of go. Well, you know, I got some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do have time. Um, I'd love to go into more, but you really do have to go. So yeah, maybe we should got, get into birthdays. I've got, yeah, got <laughs> got a matinee and an evening show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sound like a working actor to me. Uh, it's <laughs> it's um, it's an interesting place to be, and this conversation definitely touches on it. Um, oh, okay, Craig. Craig Gleason Niebauer, I went to San Francisco State with, and we keep threatening to do a piece, and uh, we'll see if that happens. Um, but um, he, at a certain point, met an actress who I also know, Erica, um, and they fell in love. Oh. And they got married, and they now have triplets. And I'm like, oh, you probably don't have much time for theater these days. <laughs> Anyway, he's amazing, <laughs> wonderful talent. Um, Patrick Russell is somebody I met through Playground, and more and more of those people are popping up on my list. Um, one of my favorite shows was a piece called Gently Down about a single dad trying to raise an infant because his wife has died and waking up in a rowboat in the middle of nowhere. And it was just, um, I, I don't want to give it away, but it was beautiful, and mm-hmm. he, he was such a joy to watch. Uh, we'll skip that one because I bet you have it. Carrie Adele Isaacman is another San Francisco State alum, is now in New York. 
threatened to have me in a show a few years ago, and I love this when somebody gets in touch with me personally to ask me to be in a project, and mm. I say yes. It's almost a guarantee somebody else is going to show up and say, oh, wait, Norman, we want to pay you lots of money. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So, Carrie, I owe Carrie one for that one. Um, Sheila Balter uh, was my first director with Word for Word, and um, and it's been a joy dealing with her over the years. Um, and um, I've gotten to do back-to-backs with uh, Word for Word. Not back-to-backs. It was five years in between, but... Um, a couple of shows that got to go to France so Sheila was along with us and it was a lot of fun Um, Meryl Shaw used to be the casting director at ACT and that's how I know her Mm. and then a few years ago I bumped into her at somebody's like 70th birthday party Mm. and she was just so relaxed and comfortable and talking about the scene in the same way that I think of the scene Mm. in the same way that I hear frustrated young theater artists talk about the scene and I was like oh we're all in this big machine and you just got to find your way of staying sane so Cheryl Meryl Shaw taught me that lesson late in life Uh, I would be remiss to skip that my (laughs) wife's birthday is coming up this week Mara Fox Mara yep um, not a theater person, but she's married. To she's one. an artist, yeah. <laughs> um, Brian Herndon, uh, one of the <clears throat> class acts of Bay Area theater. He is a gem to watch on stage. He is a joy to work with. And he works a lot with the union, um, trying to make sure that our representation, because we have been marginalized. San Francisco used to have an office, and we don't anymore. And we kind of have to fight for our representation. And Brian has been one of those folks that has stayed in the trenches. So thank you, him. Brian. Uh, Bedelia Albanese um, was an understudy with me on Pericles, and that's how we met. And then um, she helped me to think about casting in Bay Area Theater in a new way. She ended up taking a show with a community theater because she wanted to do a role, and she felt like nobody else would cast her as that. And she came in and knocked their socks off because she was just so talented. She was she is a professional actor. She came into a community theater, and they were like, oh, hell, yes. And I thought, oh, okay, must remember that. I mean, I can't do it as a union actor, but must remember that's a possibility. And you probably have this one as well. Edward Webster, um, it's weird, because the, the theme seems to be today this understudying thing. I wasn't technically an understudy, but the Aurora remounted Lobby Hero after having a successful run with it. And one of the actors was out of the country, couldn't do it, so they cast me. Edward was playing the lead, the lobby hero. And um, again, it was one of those, I love, somebody recently said to me that think of this as like a master class. You walk into the situation, you don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and somebody is doing something, and if you pay attention, you learn a lot, and Eddie was the guy who helped me do, learn that. Matthew Quinn, um, I believe they were called the off-market theater. It was custom-made, and there was another space Mm -hmm. that were sharing facilities. Um, Matthew Quinn was running one of those spaces and went on to do... He started doing um, publicity for, you know, public relations, publicity stuff. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think he went down to New New York. No, L.A. Um, Chris Williams, I have not technically met, but I've seen him in a show, and I'm hoping I get him for our Baldwin. And uh, then last two, uh, Kathy Cade, who again is not a theater person, but a dear, dear old friend of mine. 
So I just want to make sure I say happy birthday. And then the final one I'm going to take because I think you may have it, but mm-hmm. Lily, Lily Tongue Crystal. Ah, yes. Um, who was here um, and with Ferocious Lotus mm-hmm. and got an opportunity to move to Minnesota, Minneapolis, yeah, yeah. Um, to be with Moo Theater and mm-hmm. hopefully is doing fantastically. All right. And uh, my list is uh, pretty short. Um, today, Paul Plain has a birthday today. I was on stage with Paul Plain when we did um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. That was at the Town Hall Theater. He's a fantastic actor. Also today, Richard Wenzel. Uh, he is an actor. Mm, I, remember I know working, that name. Yeah. He had this name that pops up around. I remember working with him. This was back in the ISIS Arts Collective. <clears throat> um, there's a poster right there, the pink poster. Uh, he worked uh, a long time with Mike Ward, the late Mike Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, good actor. Uh, also today, Maurice Eldred. So I always talk about that I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Right. He was the principal of Duke Ellington. <laughs> and he was a really, really active principal. He was not one to stay in the office. He said, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, how are you enjoying the program? Are there any issues or anything like that? Wow. Very, very proactive. And all of us kids who are alumni now, we, mm-hmm. we think of him with uh, reverence. Um, let me jump to uh, you save this one for me I'm sure Kim Donovan yes her birthday it will be to, uh, on Monday February the 19th a fantastic actress you've worked with Kim Donovan yes that I, I do believe I have she yeah. works around she does she, get around yeah yeah she is um, also uh, Tuesday will be Elijah Collins uh, I work with him he's a tech guy he is one who is a young guy who brings in audio and visual stuff to traditional theater, like um, if you want projections, and he's a master at QLab, and QLab is one of those things where you can mix sounds and all sorts of cool things. So it's really, it was really, really good to have him talk on the A mm. about the technical aspects, 21st century theater. Um, on Thursday, Melissa Mambuis, uh, her birthday is coming up on February the 22nd. We had her on. She talked very candidly with her uh, battle with, I'm trying to think, uh, I think it was cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and conquering that and still pursuing, you know, uh, active theater mm-hmm. um, life. And right. I was on stage with her. We did Grey Gardens. <clears throat> she was um, Bouvier, young. Oh, Jack- yeah, young, yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, I remember you talking about this. Yeah, yes. young Bouvier. Um, I will skip Mara Fox because you have <laughs> uh, Manny Cabrera. Uh, his birthday is on Thursday. He is one of the Bindle Stiffers, um, yeah. great Philippine actor uh, and writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Misty Ann Loretto. Loretto. I'm wondering if I'm screwing that name up. Scott, I don't know if you remember her, but when we did for um, 100 Years of Queer, th- was it 100 Years of Sex Acts? I'm looking at the post right now, 2006. She was one of the hired guns that we we at EastEnders hired her for. It's the poster on the lower left, right there. Yeah, lower left, right there. And there was a wonderful Lorca piece that uh, Susan Evans directed called Don Perlimplin. Mm-hmm. Was... Um uh, it was John... Um, uh, the Hutch. Hutchinson. Well, John Hutchinson. Yes, Hutchinson I remember that, that piece and vividly. And she was the love interest. She was oh. excellent. And, uh, all of us just, you know, had... She, she was just a stunning beauty. Beautiful uh-huh. inside and out. Okay. And when I... Um, I had a bunch of young um, actors on the Yay, mm-hmm. uh, who, and she was their teacher. Ah, was in one nice. of the small worlds. So she's mm-hmm. not only a great actress, but she also teaches acting. So, Miss Deanne, happy birthday to you. Uh, let's see... 
And that is it. Uh, well, Saturday, also, along with Lilithun Crystal, Kina Cantor, her birthday is, will be on the 24th. Her name is a name that, that's been around the Bay Area theater community. I'm oh. hoping to have her on. Mm-hmm. I've never acted with her, but uh, that's that. Uh, there's Conrad Pangan Oh, I don't have him on the list. Okay. Conrad Pangan Nibban, a fantastic Philippine uh, playwright. Mm-hmm. A very prolific Philippine playwright. I don't yep. know if you know Conrad. But uh, yeah, he worked... Uh, you know a lot with Bindlestiff and also with the Chickahan Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get our sponsors in. So yep. uh, Charles Blades Barbers, um, they are located at One Eighty Second Street in downtown Oakland. It's a very cool, relaxing place where you can get your cut on, and they'll even serve you a complimentary drink. They also sell hair gels, pomade, shampoos, and conditioners. Hop online, give their products a try, and support minority business like my man Charles Blades. Their website is cbb.hair. We want to thank them for sponsoring the A. Also, Plethos Productions has a fundraiser going on to create a new theater space in downtown Hayward. As part of the fundraising campaign, Plethos is hosting a retreat and camp monologa on the weekend of July the 26th through the 28th. Along with a host of teaching classes, we will be on and we will be doing an outside yay podcast live. Live! And it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that Corinne and John reached out to us to say, hey, we would love to have you help us, you know, in this fundraiser. So Mm -hmm. they'll help us and we'll help them. That's it. Oh, and shows. Um, Big data! Opens next week in previews right now. <laughs> That's right. It opened February. It opens February the fifteenth. It opened February the fifteenth, and it closes March the tenth. And we have a link for that. And we're hoping that you'll get on stage. Yeah, that'd be um, nice. I'd be okay with that. The African American Shakespeare <laughs> Company is doing Pipeline. That'll open March the sixteenth through the thirty first. Gary Moore is in that show, so check oh, that out. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he was talking about that. That's right. San Jose Stage is doing People Where They Are. That opened January the thirty first. It closes February the twenty fifth. Terrence Smith is in that show. Kathleen Ridley, um, Rebecca Pingree. Oh my gosh, a bunch it's, of folks. It's a beautiful show. I saw it opening. <laughs> Uh, Fred Pitts is uh, still doing his one-man show, Aren't You, at the Yay! Marsh. Uh, that closes March the 2nd, unless it's extended once again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been extended three times already, so people must love it. Well, that, I mean, that's the Marsh's thing. When a show is successful, they'll mm-hmm. talk to the performer and say, Hey, would you be interested in another run? So, mm-hmm. No, good. I'm glad to see. Good. Have you seen it? No, 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 not yet. <clears throat> well, if it's is it back in the city or is it in the East Bay? Um, you know what? I will. I, I'm. I'm, okay. I'm loath to you, click on the link. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But uh, I'm, but I'll ch- I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah, I've got no, a month. I, yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, it is intriguing, and I I think it's an experience you probably have had. I definitely have. <laughs> yeah, um, a little night music. One of my favorite Sondheim mm-hmm. uh, musicals mm-hmm. is playing at the South Bay Musical Theater. Their last show is tonight. Nick Mandrakia is in that. Nick, good old Nick. Foothill Music Theater is doing Legally Blonde. That'll open March the 1st through the 17th. Melissa Mambouis, we just was talking Um, about her. She's in the show. Um, And uh, so the show that I went to last night is Mixed Metaphors. That is a a show where a bunch of artists are just doing one-person shows. There was a wonderful um, um, puppetry that was done. Uh There was a spoken word. Mm -hmm. There was uh, Kieran Bishia. I remember remember her. Uh, the trans actress who um, directed uh, Sir Raphael way back when. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, she did a wonderful thing on there was a, there's a person who is being persecuted for releasing information about drone strikes, and right. 
So uh, she did a wonderful thing about that. But I saw Radhika Rao, and she did her wonderful show called Not Therapy. Oh, nice. Oh, you saw it. I did. It's really, really good and uh, very interactive. Uh, she wants to get the audience members in to participate. So in any case, uh, th- this weekend is the only weekend that they're running. The last show is tomorrow, so mm-hmm. check that out. And we have a link for that. Central Works is doing Boss McGreedy, a play written by Gary Graves. He's written and directed it. That's That'll open March the 2nd through the 31st. Mm-hmm. Aurora Theater is doing Manhattan. Uh, that opened February the 9th through March the 10th. Mm-hmm. Linda Amaya Hassan is in that, so check that out. I've talked about big data. Um, New Conservatory New Conservatory Theater Company is doing Unpacking in P-Town, uh, directed by Kimberly Ridgway, who is... Right been doing all sorts of really cool things uh, that opens March the 1st through the 31st. SF Shakes is doing As You Like It uh, February through May in various areas. Jen Coogan is part of the musical creative team. Um, Best Available is being done by the Shotgun Players May the 18th through the 31st. That's their run. John Spector is the writer. John Tracy is the director. Kimberly Ridgway, once again, is the associate director. And uh, the last one, Catherine Park will be performing at San Francisco International Arts Festival on April the 17th. The event is called The Last Supper Party, so check that out. And check out a couple of podcasts. Barry Graves has The Black Man's Heart. Mallory Samara has uh, It's Prescribed and also Bay Current. Central Works has the Central Works Script Club. Aaron Hitty has the Dibbacast. Deborah Cortez has a podcast called Let's Talk About Grief. And Bindlestiff has the Fobcast. And also, please... Buy our jerseys. <laughs> Black, white, uh, pinstripe. Scott, thank you so much for buying a jersey. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's very slimming. You'll have, to dig, you'll have to dig that uh, photo up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do have it. Although, Scott, you were like, no, don't don't post that because you were you were not big. <laughs> I was bigger and I, 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 I would be happy right? to I pose it that now. I you slimmed. I thank you. Thank you. It was... Absolutely. Not that you needed to have slimmed, but you know, well. it's always good to be healthy. <laughs> Healthy is good. Scott, did you have a good time? I have a, always have a wonderful time. It's great to see your guys, your act. Ah! The, the, way, the way you play off each other, it's like two experienced jazz musicians, trumpet and tenor, wow. and they're just going back and forth, throwing uh, musical lines back and forth. So well, it's, it's a real pleasure. Well, it's only been seven years we've been doing this. <laughs> Boy, the time flies. Wow. And, you, and you've been a big part of that for just being a part of it. Uh, we're on the Apple Podcast app. We're on uh, every podcast. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, we're on that purple podcast app. We're also on Spotify, Overcast, SoundCloud, and we're now on Amazon Podcast. Just go on music.amazon.com and search for The Yay and you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. I'm at Reg Space Clay. I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. And Scott, do you have social media that people can... Oh, you can easily find me on... Um on Facebook, I guess. I, I guess I'm not the most adventurous. No, you don't do X or uh, Twitter or... You don't have a website? There's um, threads. <laughs> no, I, I... I just wait, and when that form becomes extinct, I just say, oh, I, I don't bother with websites anymore. <laughs> but I, uh, well. I, I, I think we will see that day. I do think we will. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a wonderful, well, rainy Saturday, but everyone enjoy themselves. Norman, you know, have a good, um, hopefully you'll get to be on stage. <laughs> now, hopefully not before opening, because honestly, I've, I've still got two, the last two beats, mm-hmm. which are juicy as fuck. But those, I still haven't gotten the lines completely in mm-hmm. my body. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, like I'm looking forward to going and 
um, hopefully finding a moment where I can walk on stage. It's where we are literally not allowed to go on stage. Mm. Um, they will make an announcement because tech is still going on. They are still adjusting and fixing things. Yeah. So when they say it's a break, it's mm-hmm. a break for us and we have to clear the stage so that the tech people can do what they need to do. Even with the big dinner break, they will say, um, they will announce when you can get on stage. So I'm hmm. at that point now where I'm like, okay, can I slip on before the actors get on? While the actors are getting in costume, can I slip on stage real quick and just walk through it, get it in my body? Yeah. I'll, I'll be chopping at the bit myself. Mm. So so we'll see. Alrighty, gentlemen, thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we, we gotta, gotta find, find a, a better, better sign off. off. And we are out. Mm.